This week on Farming Together, we speak to Co-op Federation Secretary Sam Byrne. Sam explains why the cooperative model is still relevant today and how many cooperative pitfalls can be prevented simply by educating members. He also gets excited about some up-and-coming co-ops which are set to disrupt the market and give more back to the community. You're listening to the Farming Together podcast. Farming Together, a podcast series exploring how farmers, fishers and foresters can establish collaborative business models and co-ops that address current economic and environmental challenges. With your host, Amanda Scott. Farming Together is created in collaboration with Southern Cross University's Farming Together program. Sam, what is the Cooperative Federation? Cooperative Federation is a peak body for cooperatives and cooperative enterprise. Cooperatives from all types of industries join us as members and we support them, promote them and, and represent them. It ranges from practical advice and support with their constitution, their rules, dealing with the regulator and governance training for their boards through to strategic planning conflict resolution and everything in between, but we also promote them, the model of business, of organisation, and also represent them to, to government. For anyone that's not familiar with the cooperative business model, can you just explain a bit about what that is? So in one sense, you can a cooperative is just a business structure. It's a you can make. You can be a company, you can be a partnership, you can be an association. So it's just a structure. It's one you can choose, but it's a unique structure. It's a structure that has democracy at the base of it, one member, one vote. It's a structure that is has a global family and is a movement. It's a structure that has principles that no other business or organisational structure has. So there are seven international principles that cooperatives sign up to and that those principles internationally agreed are legislated in every state and territory in Australia. So they're in the law and they're part of what co-ops are about. They talk about autonomy and independence. They talk about democracy. They talk about concern for community and they talk about cooperating between cooperatives. So what kind of examples of cooperatives have you seen in terms of helping people think about is a cooperative something that I would be interested in doing? What are the different, some of the different places you've seen cooperatives working well? We have a new cooperative in Australia that's what's set up in Sydney. That's an orchestra. The members of the orchestra are the members of the cooperative. It's a not-for-profit. Uh, it's it's going to seek charity status. One of the other components about cooperatives, one of the other unique features, is that members need to be active to actively support. Every cooperative has a rule as to what members have to do to maintain their active status. And in the orchestra, they need to um, at least be part of one concert every year to, um, you know, to maintain their memberships. We haven't seen an orchestral cooperative in Australia, as far as I know before. So that's an exciting new one. So they are in every, across nearly every industry. Some other examples of forming ones at the moment, there's a new tugboat cooperative forming in, in Sydney Harbour, and um, where the that work on the tugboat, the members of the cooperative, 
there has been another tugboat cooperative in Australia, and that was in the 1870s in Newcastle. So we have found a previous example of if that orchestras and tugboats, um, <laughs> you know, they're united, the structure, the cooperative structure, the active membership and the principles that they operate by. So you talk about the characteristics, which are obviously uh, make cooperatives unique. I wonder why would choose a cooperative over a different business structure? It's a good question. Really, for any entity or any project, you're solving a, an issue, and that should be, that's the same for cooperatives. But there's a number of reasons why people choose the model. The first cooperatives in Australia were dairy co-ops, and that was really solving the problem that individual dairy couldn't afford to process milk and Pulling that together and marketing their, their milk was a, a logical way to do it. Cooperatives very much have a long-term outlook. So they will, you know, they're set up uh, with longevity and not, not just about the current, but in many about generations. So there's a number of co-ops in the agricultural areas, but also in other, in, in childcare that are set up like that so that, the cooperative provides a service to the members and then as members retire and new members come in, the cooperative is there to support them. And it, so it doesn't have that term sort of profit motive. It has a long-term community focus. So I guess two reasons, the democracy and also the, the longevity that you would choose the, uh, the cooperative model. I think people, there's a lot of trust in the cooperative model and particularly again I'd say in more experience with them in rural and regional areas Australia and across the world they're well known and they're they're established there and some cooperatives are very holding together towns in in Australia there some cooperatives are almost bigger than the town anymore and they you know they will the difficult choice to take over the service station if the service station is closing or the hardware store. They know that their community needs that and they will make that sort of investment, whereas for a purely profit-focused organisation, they can do that. I was actually uh, interested in, in doing some research and uh, I found out that the top 10 performing cooperatives in Australia, six of them are connected to farming in some way. That blew my mind, really. They're some of the largest and the oldest businesses in Australia, and you've spoken about this with the solving the problems and the long-term view to pass on to generations. But I've also heard some people say that the co-op model, while being really successful in the past, is quite old-fashioned and no longer relevant. And I was just wondering on what you thought about that view. Cooperatives, just like other businesses, have a life cycle and sometimes it's, you know, the market has moved on, the community has moved on and it's time, you know, it's time to close the co-op. Same as any other business. It's often when, when a cooperative closes, it's often the cooperative model that's blamed for the end of the business rather than just the reason for the cooperative to exist is gone, the problem is solved or the market has moved on. The cooperative sector in Australia is having a renaissance since the, the International Year of Cooperatives in 2012, a UN-declared international year, and we are starting to turn that around. And there was certainly, for the 30 years before that, there was a trend towards demutualisation. There was a, 
if you say, the neoliberal economic policies led to an, a number of, of, uh, of Australia's larger, larger co-ops demutualising and moving into a, a more company um, structure, a more remote shareholder structure. There was definitely that sort of movement. Some academics call that, say that the demutualisation process that happened in Australia was at one of the highest rates globally, you know, that we were really quite leaders in demutualisation over those 30 years before 2012. But I would put 2012 as a real line in the sand and that since then there has really been a, a, a turning around. And I'm mentioning that because I think we really need to promote the fantastic elements of cooperative enterprise. Cooperatives are not, you know, the solution for every economic or social or community issue, but they work in many, many scenarios, many, many environments, and um, they're certainly the solution for uh, for a lot of um, a lot of ways. The important thing to talk about in that framework is the the real exponential growth in technology has provided a really good platform for cooperative enterprise to. Um, renew itself. And there is a whole movement called platform cooperativism globally at the moment. Started in, in New York in, in the US, but it it's spreading. And the these are platforms where the IT platform allows, facilitates that ownership. And to say that they're old-fashioned or backward is rubbish. We're talking about Uber that's owned by the drivers. The drivers own the platform through a cooperative. They have one vote in how the the platforms run. But those sort of businesses are, are setting up. We're talking about fair BNB rather than Airbnb, where the people who are providing their the rooms or their houses have a say, have a stake in that platform and in that enterprise. And the cooperative model fits perfectly for that. We're talking about smart co-op in in europe which is a platform for freelance workers where the co-op does all the back office the invoicing the insurance the workplace health and safety all that support and training the co-op does all that and they're able to go out and be freelance workers and that's all done through and through a platform so yeah i'd really challenge anyone i'd love to talk to anyone anytime about if they're saying that co-ops are, are old-fashioned. That impression is out in the community. I wouldn't, I won't deny it, but yeah, there's lots of evidence to the to the contrary. The other thing I'd say is that the cooperative model is very flexible. People, uh, there's a real impression that it's inflexible, you know, it's democracy and you have to, you know, there's extra process and, but it's actually a very flexible model and you can have a, a not-for-profit charity set up as a cooperative, you can have a big grain transport and marketing logistics company like CBH Group, the biggest co-op in Australia. You can have that set up as a co-op. And those co-ops that have survived, particularly in um, rural areas and regional areas and in agriculture in Australia, they have survived because of the flexibility of the model. Some of them have started as dairy co-ops, as I was saying before, that dairy was the first industry really that used the co-op model. Some of those dairy co-ops are no longer doing dairy. They're doing hardware and nursery in their towns now, or they're running the, the local IGA, the local supermarket. And they've adapted for whatever reason, the butter factory, the dairy factory hasn't been viable anymore, but they've 
seen what their town still needs and have um, delivered a solution. So you've obviously had the opportunity to work with a number of cooperatives over the last seven or so years. What's the story that excites you the most about a cooperative that you've worked with? Two probably come to mind first, but others will. I'm still excited about the orchestra. When I am talking to directors and managers and members of cooperatives about governance, I do often talk about CBH Group, Australia's largest co-op. So, And I think there are a number of interesting lessons out of what they've done and what they've achieved, the challenges they've gone through. So they're owned by the wheat farmers in WA. They own the silos, the trains, the train tracks, the port and then warehouses across the world. So they own the whole supply chain to get the wheat um, from the farms to the port and off overseas. And they receive regularly takeover offers or demutualization offers from the corporate sector because everyone knows it's an amazing business. And the farmers take some benefit from all that supply chain down the line. So they you know, they see economic benefit from, from all the way down and they can control that, control that supply chain. As well as that, there's a, thousands of staff in the organisation, but the CEO, his focus is to reduce the price per tonne that farmers pay to get their wheat to the port. That is his focus, not quarterly shareholder returns. It's the focus is that price. That really does make the difference for grain farming in WA. Grain farmers in New South Wales pay three times the price per tonne that grain farmers in WA pay. And, you know, it really supports their industry. CBH as a co-op and following that principle of concern, international principle for concern for the community gives back a lot of money to its communities too. So where its farmers are, it's donating to the local show, donating to the local community group. Um, it really does support its, um, its community in that way. And the other thing that, well, one of the other things they do that I find interesting and is, is important to mention is the education of their members and the community about the co-op and how it delivers benefits to them. So they go out and do member education. When they get a demutualization offer, they go out to their members, they have meetings across the state and explain, here's the offer. Yes, you might get several hundred thousand dollars now to sell up the co-op, but this is what farmers are paying in other states to move their wheat. And this is likely to be what price you'll be paying in a few years if you do that. That sort of education and that um, dialogue is really important. The number one reason why co-ops fail is um, a failure of member education. And it's about understanding the co-op, but it's also about understanding the benefits that the co-op delivers for them. So the last vote they had on a demutualisation, they needed 75% support from the farmers and they got 85% opposition. And the vote keeps going higher against demutualization from those members. So they really understand. And the final point that I like from CBH is the board and the, the chair who's just finished up as chair, Wally Newman, also talks to the farmers a lot about the fact that their predecessors set up this cooperative and set up this structure for grain farming in WA and selling up the co-op 
is really dudding your forebears, your predecessors, but also dudding future generations of farmers. Because without the co-op there, you know, they'll be a lot worse off on their farm. So while it's very tempting, you know, particularly farmers who are um, at the retirement age and are thinking about succession, it can be very tempting to want to cash up or cash in the co-op it's really important to say that it's there for the long term and it's there for future generations to be able to farm. The other one that I do think about is a farming together supported cooperative that started in Mildura called Food Next Door. And they've received a large grant now from the Victorian government and are doing wonderful things in that part of the world, focused on sustainable farming and focused on sustainable food production and a food system. So they're a group of people who couldn't easily buy locally produced food in their area, so they set out to solve that problem, and they, they're solving it. They're sourcing land for people who know how to farm to grow stuff locally. They're selling fruit and veg in the town through a veggie box system, so people are much, it's much easier for people in Mildura to access the food, and they're focused on... Um, looking after the land and regenerating the uh, the land as well. And a lot of the farmers are new migrants and new refugees who, you know, have not had access to land but have some great skills in farming, who used to farm in their, the countries they came from. So that's a fantastic uh, model. And they chose the cooperative uh, model because it fit with their philosophy and what they're trying to do. There's a range of members. So they have members who are farmers, they have members who are are shoppers just buying the fruit and veg, they have landowners who are members, and they have volunteers who are members. So they have four types of members, and it's a really um, inclusive community project, well supported now by the Victorian government. So you're right, it's their cooperative is quite an interesting, almost complex, quite a complex model that seems to have worked really well in their community. And it sounds like they're done some great things and they've got some really exciting projects on the horizon too so I was with them in January and we did some governance um, we did a a one-day governance training session with their board so we've been involved throughout most of their or all of their life so really it's a great project and the environmental benefits the social benefits the community benefits are just uh, fantastic and they have two farmers from East Africa on their board and you know it's a great project. So what I've heard so far from you with those great examples is some of the secrets to the long-term success of cooperatives is things like always putting your members and the community in which you are situated as their top priority and making sure that you communicate and educate your members and the community in order to bring everyone together and, and make decisions that are the best for the members in the community. That'd be right. Sounds good to me, Amanda. Yeah. You could you could go out and promote co-ops now. With <laughs> Not quite yet, but um, any any other secrets to success that you think uh, you've seen in your experience? One idea I'd like to challenge as well is that the burden of democracy inside co-ops, or don't they always fall apart by personality clashes and those sort of ideas? It's just you know it's not right. I when people get involved in a co-op and they know it's about democracy, they come with a, a framework of cooperation and working together. And I think that's important to say. But other businesses and other organisations fall apart from personality and, um, you know, personal issues all the time. And it's, again, that idea that co-ops get 
oh, it's the cooperative model that was the reason why that fell apart. No, well, let's talk about all the other businesses and all the other structures that fall apart due to personal issues or, you know, fallings out, etc. Yeah, I think it's important when people come into a co-op or join a co-op, it's important to educate them. A lot of co-ops have processes where you might have to go to a, a session or a, a seminar or sit through something before you can become a member. I think that's really good. There's some housing co-ops, sort of alternative communities around that have a, up to a year of process before you can become a member and actually having that level of that time taken for people to understand and think about joining, um, I think is important. There's a few pointers as to what I think would lead to a successful co-op. And what first one is really about previous collaboration or that group is already, they know each other, perhaps they're already collaborating in some less formal way and then moving into a, being a cooperative is, is because they need to form, formalise it for whatever reason. So another Farming Together Assisted Cooperative was called Green Space Turf Cooperative there was a group of turf growers who really had a history of collaborating already by themselves. None of them could fulfill some of the larger contracts, but so they were already for years, you know, asking each other, have you got any grass to be able to fill this larger, um, larger contracts? And then the co-op was just really a formalization of that process. You know, they've had a solid basis of working together already. So that's a good thing. It doesn't, you don't have to have that. The second point I think I'd say is that like any project any business any organization any enterprise it needs a clear idea what are we trying to do what are we not doing what's the problem we're solving any project of a football club a a business whatever needs a good plan and, so, and then yeah and clarity about what they're actually doing so co-ops in australia basically need to have five members nearly always you can get away with less sometimes in a transitional way. It's good to have a group at the start. Sometimes you can see co-ops where it's someone's passion, it's one person's idea, and they're trying to drag others into it to get the five or get the 10 and get a cooperative going. You need a group of people who have the same vision to get it going well. And then certainly that education space is keeping communicating with your members and communicating and explaining what the co-op's doing, how it's doing it. In some ways, it's that we're not educated at school and we're not educated in universities about them. And that's something that we as an organisation are working hard for. We're not accountants and lawyers are not required to learn anything about cooperatives in Australia at the moment. And that's a real problem for our sector. And we are one of the business and organisational structures you can choose for your enterprise. But accountants don't have to learn anything about them and lawyers don't either so it, it that's a real you know that sort of so the education of members and the community but also the education of the professionals and the advisors is a real problem and that can be why why they fail i guess another point is to say they are again they're while i say they're unique and beautiful and different cooperatives they're also the same they need to be well managed they need to be well run they need to be just as well run as any other organisation it doesn't just because it's a co-op doesn't mean you can forget about maintaining good relationships about having people understand their roles and responsibilities clear focus on the strategic objectives all those sort of classic business and organisational framework needs to be there be there for a co-op as well Oh, Sam, you're amazing. You're answering the questions before I even ask them. 
Fantastic. <laughs> Makes my job easy. <laughs> yeah, no, I've got a lot to get off my chest. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, it's making me feel really excited about, not that I wasn't before, about the cooperative model because I've seen some amazing cooperatives have been working with them and farming together over the last few years. But in fact, the opportunity that's there to embrace technology, to look at new and innovative ways to bring the cooperative to life, the gap that's missing in that education, as you say, both potential members, community, but as well as the professionals who are there to uh, assist cooperatives. Imagine if we could build up that space, uh, how actually powerful and strong these new cooperatives could be with that kind of expert advice and support. Very often I hear people say, oh, well, I, I spoke to my accountant about, you know, we, were, we wanted to do a co-op because that was what we as a group thought was the best model. Um, but I spoke to my accountant and the accountant said, oh, you know, don't, don't worry with that, you know, just be a company. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't blame the, the accountants, you know, it's that what they're familiar with, it's structures they know and they're, they're managing a lot. And, you know, there is, there's 1,700 cooperatives in Australia and hundreds of thousands of companies. So you can set up a company in a day in Australia and co-ops will take a little bit longer because when it's democratic, you need to get some of the basic parameters right and have those discussions. So it, it can take a little longer to establish. You touched earlier on some of the reasons why cooperatives might fail. And I know no one likes talking about failure, but talking about failure can be a really helpful learning opportunity for others. You know, you've said things like if it's one person's idea and they drag people into it or the lack of expert advice or not running the cooperative like a business. What are some of the other reasons that you've seen cooperatives fail? Look, I think all entities can benefit from support in the early stages. And, yeah, some of the new cooperatives that were set up with the support of Farming Together have, you know, struggled without that bit of further support. I think you can really learn a lot from what co-ops are doing in other industries. So I think, you know, an agricultural co-op can learn a lot from a childcare co-op and just how they engage with their members, how they keep the cooperative running is really valuable. I believe a lot in that cross-pollination. We run governance training where people come from all different industries um, from their co-ops and that I think that can be really inspiring for people to hear how other cooperatives have, have faced challenges similar challenges that they face of course the industry is different they might be a ski lodge they might be a fishing co-op they might be whatever in I you know game development they, whatever industry they're in but there's some basic things about and remembering the principles of cooperatives and remembering the members it's it's a member focused organization the members need to be front and center all those things are are important at those events where the different industry cooperatives can come together and share their their sort of stories what are some of the challenges that uh, you've heard groups talk about in sharing their experiences yeah, the, I mean, the first one that comes to mind, and I'm maybe banging on about it too much, is just that member education, member engagement area. Some co-ops will have thousands of members, so a consumer co-op where the, the members of the co-op are the shoppers. They might get 10% discount if they come and shop and they have to shop regularly to maintain their membership. But it can be hard to hard to keep those members 
feeling part of something as distinct from an agricultural co-op, a dairy co-op for say, where every day the farmers are providing milk into the co-op. So they're just, you know, they're living the, the co-op. So yeah, those discussions about, you know, how you communicate with members, the social aspect, um, having social events, having really working on people understanding the benefits the co-op's giving, but making them feel a part of it. And then how you engage them in the decision-making. So, you know, yeah, you can just send them a, an email once in a while and they can click and vote yes or no, or you can actually have fantastic meetings with speakers and events and that sort of engagement. Everyone is challenged with technology, so I think technology is a it's not just for cops, it's for everybody. But banks are just IT companies that move money around now. Every business is almost an IT business that does something. IT is just so central now. Innovative ways that co-ops are using IT are certainly part of the discussions. What's something that people don't know about cooperatives? There was a study done saying that 80% of Australians were members of a cooperative, but only 20% realised that they were. Most people are members of a cooperative and may not realise and are probably members of, of two or three. Unfortunately, we've lost the university bookstore cooperative recently, which had two million members and nearly everyone who'd been to university in the last 50 years was a member of that cooperative. So, yeah, most were members of, uh, of that and may have forgotten. That's lifetime membership for $20. What is it that you love most about working in the cooperative sector? Number one thing I love about the job is the people. So people have got involved in the cooperative, got active in their cooperative for, for a community-based reason or a group-based reason. And, um, it's very rare to find people who aren't thinking in that way and aren't focused in that way. And so it's just, they're just great people to work with. And if there are people who've got another agenda there, most of the time they're only there for a short period and then they, uh, they depart. So, yeah, no, it's great. They're absolutely great people. I mean, my particular role, the diversity is fantastic. So one day I'm talking fishing, next day I'm talking childcare skiing so it's really it is really diverse that way so that's fantastic the new cooperatives and forming new ones and helping people to do that so that excitement of people they've got a something they want to do they're looking to do it and they've chosen to do it in a cooperative way and that's really exciting at the moment I'm I'm helping some pecan farmers with a new cooperative I'm helping some smash repairers with a new cooperative and I'm helping some bilingual aged care workers with a cooperative. So you can see that though, you know, those are three of the new cooperatives I'm working with at the moment. You can see the diversity, but it's also really exciting. All the projects are disruptive. They're really, you know, they're going to shake up their industries. That's just really exciting. The, the aged care workers, they, you know, they're looking at being a workers cooperative. They're paid, um, not very well paid. And then agencies take, you know, a large amount of money out of their hourly, out of their pay. So, well, they're looking at cutting out the agency and being the agency themselves and owning the agency. So, you know, great solution. The, the cooperative's going to be focused on that they have a great workplace and focused on their on their, the care for their, their clients. And, um, you know, 
we don't we don't need an agency sitting in the middle there. We they they can run it themselves and uh, and you know have much better lives and much and a higher pay rate for for the important work they do. You know, in the smash repair industry, it's extremely dominated by insurance companies, and this cooperative is looking at challenging that. So, if you're a smash repairer, the key relationship you have is with the insurance companies, if because customers are sent to you via the insurance company, and they don't really have a relationship with their customers anymore. It's very hard to to build a, a connection with customers. So, um, they're looking at, at, at challenging that, and. Um, yeah, that sort of disruptive nature of the project, focus on cutting out third parties and delivering benefits directly to the people doing the work or doing, you know, growing the fruit or whatever is um, what I really like about it. Yeah, it sounds like a really exciting place to work. And I do love that the way you talk about the cooperatives, it's sort of they start by solving a community problem which obviously has to have a profit-based business model to it but it's definitely not just about making profit it's also about making making it better for the the people involved directly in the broader community as well yeah it's about i mean one way we we describe it is uh, it's commerce with a conscience another way is it's described as balancing your business and your social purpose and that's really what that's at the core of, of, of co-ops. And they're required to, under those principles that are legislated, they're required to, to take those matters into mind. And directors, when they make decisions on the boards of co-ops, are required to keep those principles in mind. So, um, yeah, I think that's the, what's great about it. It's enterprise with a, with a purpose, with principle. And, of course, I have to ask you, Sam, are you a member of any cooperative? <laughs> of course. Um, I do get asked to get to join or go on the board of, of many, and I have to say no. But um, no, I mean, every, every person in the cooperative movement has a sort of home co-op or their first co-op that they joined. And so mine was a community store in Minina, Sydney, and um, I joined in the mid-90s. Love the fact that I was a part owner of effectively my corner store. That was where I, I started. I'm still a member of Alfalfa House. It's had its ups and downs and we've had all sorts of challenges, but we're still going strong. So that's, that's my home co-op. I am a member of a fairly new cooperative called Hopsters Cooperative Brewery. So we are a beer brewing cooperative and just opened a, a bar in uh, just up the road from Alfalfa House, my other cooperative in Enmore in Sydney, just opened the bar, then the pandemic hit. That's a, a really dynamic co-op. It's got 600 members who've put in $250 each as a minimum shareholding. There's home brewers, there's drinkers, which is where I sit in, and there's um, marketing people and uh, professional brewers involved, and it's producing beer but it's also now got a bar. I'm the part owner of a, a bar up the road. So um, that's fantastic. But there's a great, a great energy and that's the first cooperative brewery in Australia and there's, those are some of the new projects that are around. Yeah, I was a member of the co-op bookstore, so that's three co-ops. There's undoubtedly others. And of course, my organisation is a cooperative as well. So Thank goodness, I was going to ask that too. <laughs> <laughs> so we're a not-for-profit cooperative. Yeah, our, our rules are that 
uh, cooperatives or cooperative-minded entities uh, can join us. So you can't join us as an individual, but um, if you're a co-op or you're a support body for co-ops or you know have that sort of cooperative ethos, then you can join us. Uh, one last question, and this is sort of framed in in terms of when you're thinking about farmers working together in a cooperative. So your experience, I guess, through farming together. What have you learned that has surprised you most about farming together? It's absolutely unifying in a farming context. I mean, farming together in a local area or in that, that is, there's something very unifying about that. And there's, there's something very cooperative about that. So that's a very, there's no surprise that agricultural co-ops are still have a, a large percentage of, of our largest co-ops and of our cooperative enterprise in Australia. And that's common across the world, you know, in many countries. There's a real harmony or a real, what's the word, a nexus. There's a real connection between the cooperative model and that and agriculture, I think. I'm a city boy. I struggle to grow parsley. So, you know, I've certainly learned a lot about farming in the last few years with all that work with cooperatives I've done there and farming together. As a city boy and who struggles to grow parsley, I think it's been very inspiring for me to see that level of support, faith in the cooperative model, experience of it, belief. And I've really got in touch with that again through uh, working with farming groups on setting up cooperatives you know there i guess an example was when waratah alpaca fiber cooperative so was one of the farming together supported new initiatives alpaca farmers had a cooperative 20 years ago in their industry for whatever reason it didn't go that well or wasn't run well they sold it to overseas interests and then they were absolutely um, destroyed on the price by that overseas um, entity, which didn't have their interests at heart and was focused on their own interests. And the prices they were getting were were terrible. And, you know, to hear an alpaca farmer say that, yeah, I've been putting my fleece in to the into the shed for 10 years and it's filled up now. And rather than sell it to that company, you know, for the price they give it, I just burnt it you know like and to you know to they were just they could not sell their product for the low price they just it was just abhorrent to them and then to see their passion about setting up a a new organization to market their fleece internationally that they had a saying that was driven by them that had their interests at heart was um yeah that was in that's inspiring and it just showed to me that the benefit of the model where it's it's driven by the by the farmers and controlled by the farmers and has their interests right at, at heart. And we can run these co-ops as well as um, outside entities, as these third parties, these middlemen. We can run them as well and we can um, deliver much greater benefits for the, for the farmers in Australia. And if I'm thinking about the same group, they ended up getting quite a large order from overseas at a good price. Yeah. No, the prices are much, much better. They've opened up a new market, a new channel to China is where they, as far as I know, I haven't been in touch with them recently, but they've opened up a whole new avenue, a whole new channel for, for alpaca fleece in Australia. And, um, yeah, no, they're, um, as far as I know, they're, they're going gangbusters and they're, the prices are, are, are much, much better. And, uh, 
you know, that's, uh, that's the benefit of the, the model. Beautiful thing. Thanks. For more tools and resources to help you work collaboratively, head to farmingtogether.com.au or join the conversation on the Farming Together Program's Facebook page. You're listening, listening to, to the, the Farming Together Podcast. Podcast.